at uh, kind of a New Year's gathering uh, with some of my friends. And uh, we were, happened to be uh, invited out just before the kind of New Year celebrations got going to um, my friend's mother-in-law. And she, has, uh, she had a nice house, and she's quite well-to-do, let me just put it like that. And uh, we were all on our best behavior, because that's what you do when you go to your friend's parents. And uh, my, my friend's children, uh, the three of them, as, uh, are kind of lively children. They're not, I hope they don't listen, they're not the most well-behaved all the time. Anyway, particularly when they were little. And uh, because us adults were being really boring and chatting, uh, they went off to play uh, with their friends. Anyway, it was all going so well until there was some very, it all went a bit quiet. You know that, that what happens when children are around and it goes quiet? And the kind of adult radar was like, something's up. Anyway, suddenly appeared at the door these kind of slightly guilty-looking faces, and they were very quiet as they sort of shuffled into the room, accompanied by this kind of waft of fragrance. The parents said, what's happening? Nothing. What have you done? Nothing. But the smell got stronger and stronger. Mum was dispatched to go and discover, and found that in the midst of playing in grandma's room at her dressing table, and there was makeup everywhere, they had got hold of grandma's favorite, very expensive perfume to just spray it on, but somehow it had got knocked over and it had spilt everywhere. The house smelled astonishing. For quite some time. They didn't know how much it had cost. The grandmother bit her tongue. If I remember it well. I thought of that because I wanted to, to read and uh, preach from this particular passage in Mark chapter 14. But I could have picked Matthew or Luke or John, for the story is in all four. But I'm going to read Mark 14, verses 1 through to um, 11. Be on the screen behind me. Now, the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you and you can help them at any time you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. 
She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an, opportun- for an opportunity to hand him over. It's amazing to be preaching on this story because it's part of the gospel. Jesus himself said it. When the gospel is preached, this story will be told. What a legacy for an act of worship. What a moment that she wasn't expecting, but to be celebrated in an ongoing fashion, wherever the gospel is preached, this story, this encounter, this demonstration of personal devotion to Jesus, this extravagant, this expressive, this way she just enters into this most central part of the story of Jesus and blesses him. Isn't that amazing? Beautiful, beautiful, and sets an example or a demonstration for us all, but there's more to it than just an example. It's in there, in all four of the Gospels, in different places, in, in different uh, renditions of the story, not contradictory, but giving a fuller picture, depending on what the, the author is wanting, the, the gospel writers are wanting to share. There is feet and tears and hair and love and faith and forgiveness and, of course, fragrance. It's a shame we haven't got scratch and sniff Bibles. The fragrance. We're told in all of them it was uh, just on the run-up to Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, this key moment in uh, the life of Jerusalem and the Jewish people where they would recognize the rescue God had made, the redemption that he had brought for them, and the very bedrock of their national life and indeed personal devotion. They would gather in families and celebrate the Passover. And we know from the series that we've been following in the heart of Jesus that he has been heading towards Jerusalem. We've journeyed through his life from the beginning at Christmas and stages along the way, looking at how he is and how he responds to people, but also why some of those moments like the transfiguration and the triumphal entry and the gathering at the temple in all sorts of ways, the heart of Jesus to the focal point. The pivot point, the crux, the linchpin of history at Passover. I don't know if you noticed just as as we explore the heart of Jesus in this series, just these lovely little uh, incidentals perhaps or more than that of just who he's with. Obviously, this lady bursts into the scene, we're told in John's gospel that it's Mary Probably the the sister of Martha and Lazarus was part of that family who died. Jesus had raised back to life. There's also in the home of Simon the leper. Poor old Simon. He's probably been healed because he's in the house and he's 
gathered people for lunch, for supper. He's providing hospitality. But nicknames stick, don't they? I don't know if you still carry a nickname from school. Don't tell me, uh, because I might remember it. Nicknames stick. Poor old Simon, the leper. What a tag to be hung on him all the time. Because he's not a leper anymore. If he was, he'd be outside in the place where the unclean were. But I love the heart of Jesus that he's there with Simon at his invitation having dinner. A glimpse of the heart of Jesus. He loves to be with people. Indeed, when uh, this woman, Mary, bursts into, uh, into the gathering and causes this commotion and, uh, and there's, there's all sorts of reactions to her, he's also with his disciples. There's others gathered around that Jesus loves to be amongst us. Sometimes you hear about Christians who... Christian leaders who withdraw somewhat and, and, and sit unengaged or you kind of um, want to kind of go up and talk to them, as Phil was saying about mentoring, but it's really hard, isn't it? I don't know if you've ever been to a conference or thought it'd be great just to ask those questions, but it's really hard to find them. Jesus was just amongst people. And yeah, it cost him. He was often tired and there was often commotion and, and all that, but he loved being with people. That is his heart. To draw close, to be amongst even the ones that everyone else would rather not be. The little children, come to, let them come to Jesus. They're really precious. The very fact that in this gospel account is this woman, this woman with a nickname, a story, a background, an embarrassment. He celebrates and said, every time this story is told, her moment will be told too. If you're under any shadow of doubt, Jesus loves all people, women and men and children, and indeed replete through the story of people from every ethnicity, different nations and backgrounds. Jesus says, come, come to me all who are weary, heavy laden. And I'll give you rest. As we were eating, the meal is interrupted. A woman bursts in, and she's carrying an alabaster jar, a flask. We're told it's of pure nard, not lard, nard, and it's very costly. It was extracted as a rare spice from the root of spike nard, grows, grows in India. And it was renowned for its beauty and its scarcity. It was precious and unusual. And it would have had to come on a lengthy journey through trade routes to end up in Israel. And we know it was expensive. Years wages or more could have been sold for. A Roman historian, Pliny, crops up all over in history, uh, tells us that he says that it holds the foremost possible rank amongst perfumes. I'm not sure if that was the perfume spilt in my friend's house. We're told it was worth over a year's wages. 
in today's terms, £20,000 maybe. Depends what your wages are, I guess. This rare commodity, pressured, stored, maybe gifted to her by a wealthy client. Maybe she'd saved up the money from her profession. And that was her insurance policy. That was, that was her nest egg. But she breaks it open. And she pours it. She pours it out upon Jesus. You see, for Jesus, it wasn't the issue where it came from. What was the source? How did she come by it? But really, the way she gave it. That this item, costly and precious and extravagant and fit for really VIPs. It was of such worth. A royal item, royal worth, truly a kingly gift. And she gave it to Jesus. And what she gave showed the worth that she gave to Jesus. How much do you think she meant? He meant to her. How much is Jesus worth? The word worth and worship are so implicitly linked in their roots. Our worship will never rise higher than our vision and value of Jesus. At the start of our vision statement, proclaiming Jesus to people today, gathering in worship to love and honor and celebrate Jesus. If we truly see him as our Lord and Savior and King, the one who loves us, and God himself, then nothing is too good for him, is it? He will get all that we have. Someone says it like this, worship given is an indicator of the worth we hold someone in. I love that in all four Gospels, when the Gospel is preached, this is part of it. Because as those were eating with him and the, uh, the disciples who criticized harshly and, and those chief priests and those who should have known better, they were conspiring, but not to cause a rumpus. They wanted to do it secretly and kill him. They were so distracted and deflected. Center stage, this beautiful act of this woman. And she said her worship is total. As she broke the flask and poured the perfume out on, over his head, uh, in another uh, account in the gospel says, then she, with her tears, wiped Jesus' feet with her hair. She's giving Jesus everything. It's not saved or stored. It's not kind of poured out in little portions. And here, Jesus, have some, the whole lot, liberally, abundantly, completely. You can have it all, Jesus. That's what worship is. 
That's what devotion and discipleship looks like. This expression of love and faith, of loving Christ, loving Jesus, and, and, and recognizing passionately and intimately and, and abandoning our self-offering to Jesus. Not that worship saves us, but worship shows that we have saving faith. Jesus is worth far more to her than money. In her act, she's willing to throw away all she holds dear, her retirement plan perhaps, in order to step into the story. Her worship is total. And it's controversial. Worship is controversial. Particularly when it costs. Have you noticed that? I was reading recently of David bringing uh, the ark back into Jerusalem, and he danced before the ark with all of his might. Do you remember that story, perhaps? Sam, one of the Samuels. And, and, uh, and there, there's a, a lady who observes and says, you're, you're making a scene. You've become undignified. You're the king of Israel. What do you think you're doing? And he says, I will become even more undignified than this. His whole love for the Lord. When we worship, when we step out in faith, when we yield our whole life to him, it's controversial. My grandma used to say, everything in moderation, dear, don't get carried away. It's not true about worship. As I've been reading through the Old Testament in these last months again and again, when people come and worship... When they demonstrate their love for God, it's very often tied to an expression of worth, of value. Bring your first fruits from the harvest as a gift. When you bring a gift, don't bring something marred and old and tatty. Give something that is costly and unblemished and pure. Why? Because it's a sign of devotion. Judas and the others were indignant. The word in the Bible is a word that, that gets used in other places that's like a horse snorting. You know that kind of, you know, kind of it's that kind of sense of indignation. I, I won't do the impression again. Uh, I'm sure you could do it better. And there's kind of this facade, but give it to the poor. We've all, you know, they need it more than you. Well, Jesus says you'll always have the poor, and of course we're to, to do that. But this is an act of worship. And Jesus knows that actually one of the most difficult things about us, the thing that holds us back so often, is actually the love of money. One of the things that is so astonishing in this woman's story is that she, she was just willing to give this massive gift, huge gift to Jesus. I'm sure she knew the cost, but said, it's yours. The love of money is the root of all evil, and it is so insidious. Because behind it, behind it is when we love money and, the, uh, and not the Lord, we're putting our trust ultimately in independence from God, of, of doing it ourselves, self 
dependence. Rather than seeing that which God has given us as a way of bringing blessing and of trusting him completely. Worship is controversial. People will tell us, hold back, don't worship God fully. And yet, her story says, yes, we must. Her worship is uh, beautiful. I hope you see this. Jesus says, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? If you want to get, cast a glimpse of, of Jesus' heart, he protects us. He looks out for us. When we're unduly criticized, he shelters. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. In our giving, in our worship, in our laying our lives before him. I hope you hear the same words from Jesus. You're doing a beautiful thing to me. Isn't that lovely to know? Jesus says, fantastic. It's a beautiful thing to me. You know, even this very act of worship that she, she does is an expression of powerful witness. A contemporary example, so to speak, uh, that I came across, Mother Teresa poured out her life for the poor in the slums of Calcutta. When asked why she did it, Malcolm Muggeridge uh, was a, a cynical communist satirist at the time, visited her. She said to him, I wanted to do something beautiful for God. So beautiful was this gracious gift that it moved Malcolm Muggeridge towards becoming a Christian. Mary's actions, this woman at the meal, enraged some, embarrassed others, but it enchanted Jesus. She's done it to me. She's done it to me. Jesus was receiving direct, exclusive undiluted devotion for Jesus. She's a beautiful example. But her worship was more than that. It was a sign and symbol of something yet more beautiful. Jesus says she has anointed me before my burial. Her worship at that meal when there was grace and hospitality and generosity and the commotion of that week and, and Passover to come and, and the expectation and the anticipation. But there was something deeply prophetic here. It was worship which witnessed. She did nothing but it spoke volumes. Sorry, she said nothing but it spoke volumes. Because Jesus says she has anointed me for my burial. It's pointing to Jesus and to some gift that Jesus is about to give himself a far, far, far greater price than the nard perfume. Her worship tells us not only of her devotion to Jesus, but hints at a revelation of Jesus. His love, his gift, his heart to do a beautiful thing. 
Here is an expression of the heart of Jesus writ large. You see, the broken vase and the liquid poured out heralds a shadow of later in the week when Jesus' body, his beautiful body, is broken and another priceless liquid is poured out for us. What a story at the heart of Easter. What a witness to demonstrate how Jesus saves completely, that he is worthy and worth everything. Worship flows one way. It's all to him. It's all for him. The King of Kings. The Lord of Lords. This generous act. You know, the Lord honors those who honor him. We may never reach the dizzy heights of the consecration shown by this woman, but no matter that which we bring, he responds to us with lavish grace. We don't worship with the expectation of receiving. We're not into that health and wealth and prosperity of, of some sort of simple transaction. The more we give, the more kind of that we can expect in return. Not at all. Worship is this one way, one focus, one love. We worship him because God is worthy of it. And in this story, we see his enormous value. Let's pray.